You're listening to Toronto's number one real estate podcast, powered by Watson Estates. The most successful local real estate investing starts right here, right now. Here's your host, broker, investor, and social media influencer, Bradley Watson. Good morning, investors. Bradley here from Watson Estates, and you're listening to the largest, fastest growing podcast for my favorite subject, Toronto real estate. On iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Friends, thank you for joining us today. We're getting negative, man. We're going to cover some negative news. We're going to have probably the most negative podcast we've shot since starting this. And we've been doing this all through COVID. Today, we're going to discuss how quick our Canadian real estate price is growing compared to the U.S. Is it normal? Is there something freaky going on when we compare against our southern counterparts? And is the Bank of Canada's affordability index, which was positive, wrong? We're going to talk about some of the holes in what they're doing and what is the worst case scenario (laughs) for housing prices in 2021 here in Canada. I mean, today we're getting hyper negative. We're going to freak you guys out. We're going to get into the worst case scenario, man. But we might as well have some fun. No? Why not? You can be negative and optimistic at the same time. No? So here at the Watson Residence, instead of a swear jar today, we're doing a negativity jar. For any of you who don't know what that is, anytime you have a negative thought, you throw money in. So far, it's half empty. <laughs> if you guys could, please download the last five episodes if you're jumping in. Leave us a rating and review. And if you're following us on YouTube and we don't yet have 50 likes on this video, do your boy a favor. Please hit that like button. It helps grow the channel. As well, in other news, we just joined Clubhouse. You can find us at Watson Estate. Still learning a little bit how that works. Thank you to John Mana for the invite. And I'm looking to hopefully create more of a dialogue with you guys. At the end of the day, it's about adding as much value to you as investors here in the GTA as possible. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm going to research this anyways. Why not share the goodies? And today we got a ton of them. So how does Canadian real estate prices compare to American prices? This comes from BMO. Listen to this title from Toronto Stories, a fantastic article, ton of information. Average home prices in Canada now more than 40% above U.S. levels, according to newly released data from BMO. Listen to what they say. Resilient sales, continued construction activity, and record prices work together to bring Canada's housing GDP, they say the housing share, above 9% by 2020's third quarter. To say that's an all-time high would be an understatement, they said, which they note the percentage floats well over the long norm of a bit less than 6% and more than double the current U.S. ratio of 4.3. Did you guys know that we experienced a 6% increase on average in Canada for real estate prices. Because the way I see some of these comments that go on our YouTube channel, it doesn't seem like you guys know that. And a lot of the negativity today I get is gonna be in our mind. By the end of this show, there should be no doubt that we've got some red flags waving in our market. But generally speaking, it's a long-term game, boys. Long-term, and girls, and everything in between. We are too dependent, they say though, on housing. Quote, Historically, housing takes up a bigger share of Canada's GDP compared with the U.S., but the spread has gapped up from an average of less than one percentage points in the 50 years to 2010 to today's extreme of almost five percentage points. We see this disconnect, this spread, as it relates to housing compared to GDP in Canada compared to the U.S. Interesting. This is gonna. This rabbit hole goes much, much deeper. When we look at non-residential prices, they rose mostly in line with housing prices in the past up until 2015. Then we get this tremendous break in the residential space in Canada. We're going to talk about why. Although comparisons with the U.S., they say, obviously has 
many challenges, which we could get into, but we're not. It's still, they say, worth seeing through. The results can help illustrate, quote, just how extreme Canadian home prices have become. Boy, they have. Via purchasing power exchange rate, this is kind of a calculation they use, which converts the U.S. to Canadian in terms of dollars, they see a gap right now in prices of approximately 46%. That was in December. And even today, it still sits around 40%, as the title suggests. Man, why does anyone, why does anyone touch Canadian real estate then? Should be avoiding it like the plague or like a virus. (laughs) Speaking of which, did you hear R. Kelly just got te- tested negative for COVID? COVID-19? <laughs> I bet if it was COVID-15, he'd be all over it, though. <laughs> what a weird dude. <laughs> Can't resist peeing on women. It's his R. Kelly's heel. <laughs> oh, why am I laughing at that? Terrible. Terrible. <laughs> Slap on the wrist. So why is there a large gap between Canada and the U.S.? This is where this article gets really good, really good, because they break it down for us. Number one, they say is lower interest rates cited as a contributing factor, quote, Canadian mortgage borrowing is clustered in five-year spaces, five-year fixed or under three-year fixed versus the U.S., which has a 30-year mortgage, which tends to carry higher rates. Imagine having a 30-year fixed mortgage in Canada, complete French and even French we've accepted around here. (laughs) Number two. Proximity to urban centers. Though the rate of urbanization is similar between the U.S. and Canada, just over 80%, a higher share of Canada's population lives in the largest and priciest cities. And obviously, they're the ones that are higher risk of housing being a big part of GDP. Amazing points. I told you this article is really good. Number three, the U.S. housing bust of 2007-2011, that kind of range, Home ownership levels plunged well below those of Canada. Canada wasn't affected. Why? Maybe because our I tend to think it's because our banking sector was so strong. Is that going to be the case next time around? Maybe not. Maybe we seem to be looking more like a U.S. in our response this time around. Number four, lack of capital gains tax on Canadian principal residences. Listen to this. They say it's, quote, juicing investment in real estate. I love having a principal residence exemption. For now, let's see if we can keep that going, Mr. Trudeau. But naturally, it will contribute to high home prices relative to that of the states. In the U.S., they don't have these kinds of exemptions. They're actually limited to 250000 or 500000 for joint filers. So they don't have the same flexibility as that massive increase that we're seeing in our market if it's your home. Number five, immigration. Immigration is such a big thing here in the GTA, but in Canada as a whole, the only truly compelling factor in Canada's relatively robust population growth driven primarily by net immigration. Listen to this. They say in brackets, that growth happens to have nearly stalled out in 2020, but will almost certainly rebound. But so too will the U.S. inflow, they say, with the new administration looking to reset immigration policies. But I'll tell you, right out of the gate, I'd move to Canada over the U.S. every single time. Do you think the U.S. is suddenly stable? (laughs) You horses? (laughs) Naysayers? No, not funny. Ugh, bad joke, bad joke. Throw it in the trash can. But like a negative one, like a a trash can't. (laughs) Number six, demand side forces. It's not just a supply issue, as many would point to. They say this it's actually secondary supply to actually demand is more important. Canada's new housing starts have been above those of the U.S. pace on a per capita terms for years. So as far as the number of people requiring housing, 
Canada is outproducing housing compared to the states. So why are prices so high? Maybe it's not supply. They say the fundamental answer may exist in that Canadians have en masse decided to allocate more resources to housing than any other country have, thus, quote, consuming more properties as well. It's a culture thing. It's a demand thing that we have here in Canada. We demand real estate. Demand it. <laughs> but ultimately, this is such a good article, but ultimately it comes down to a consequence. And what is that consequence? When it comes to a heavy investment in housing consumption, there is a price to pay. And that price is debt. Debt, the dark side of the housing boom. Quote, Canada's housing debt to income ratio forged above the U.S. with a decade ago and never looked back. In the last year, mortgage debt growth has increased 7.5%, the fastest heightening in over nine years. My goodness. My goodness. Yeah, we're making gains in real estate, but it's a two-way street in the form of mortgage debt. Canada thought our blood type was A negative, but who would have thought there was a blood type called HIV positive? <laughs> Play safe out there, investors. Now, on the note of immigration, before we move on to our next article, I think this is a great side note. I saw Scott Ingram posted. This was actually, he took it from StatsCan. Which cities have the biggest increase of in-migration? And for those of you who are investors, you might realize like that could be, if you're going to just look at a market, in-migration, the, the population increase of a city is, is a very good leading indicator of price growth. And so we can actually see what the next top markets could look like just based on growth that we experienced in 2020 between July 1st to June 30th, 2020. Here's the list, guys. Oshawa, 2.1% increase. Halifax, 2%. Kitchener-Waterloo, Cambridge, 2%. Kelowna, Calgary, Saskatoon, Moncton, Edmonton, Barrie, 1.8%. Belleville, 1.6%. Keep an eye out. Keep an eye out. These are some opportunity markets, perhaps, if you, in fact, agree with the in-migration concept. So let's, let's jump over here. We're going to start talking about how Canada is rising faster than other nations. And yes, we're not talking specifically about the problem, but is there maybe problems that are underlying? Because we're going to talk about the risks in our market, but I want to set the tone for how serious it could be here in Canada. There was a funny quote I saw on Twitter. The market has become a casino where the Fed has has you believing that Jay Powell of the Federal Reserve is the blackjack dealer and you get your chips on the house. That was econ guy Rosie on Twitter. I think it's really funny. It's true. You think it's on the house. Here you go. Money print, money print, money print. And it might not surprise you that today we have a lot of better dwelling articles, including this one. Canadian real estate prices grew over 25 times faster than U.S. prices since 2005. So taking a lot of the same stats, listen to some of these things. Canadian real estate prices are growing to comical levels as bad policy stacks up. U.S. Fed Reserve data shows real adjusted home prices increase at double the pace of the U.S. in Q3 2020. Woo! Man, if you think Canada prices aren't going crazy fast, they're not increasing super fast, then I'll tell you something like straight out of the gate here. I once fell into an African river but refused to accept it too. I was in denial, <laughs> but across the country, prices have doubled since 2005 and that's after adjusting for inflation, okay? One note worth taking away is almost half of the gains occurred in the past five years. Oh God, that's a very rapid acceleration even before considering the other half of the growth took twice as long, 2005, and we see more than half of it happening just in the last five years. 
But I thought it was also interesting and worth noting here. What did the U.S. do? Because we're going to say it's 25 times. we got to know what the U.S. has done as far as its market. Across the country, prices are only 3.96% higher than they were in 2005 in real terms. So part of this statistic is a really slow-growing U.S. housing price. In other words, prices have been moving largely with inflation over the past few decades. I think that's important to note. Which one is right? Is it growing with inflation in real estate or is it growing beyond inflation in real estate? And does, or does that movement mean quote unquote, a bubble? We will see, but here's some food for thought. I thought this was a fantastic paragraph. So I'm just going to read it. Listen to this. Most people think of Canada's recent real estate price surge as a long-term trend. However, Almost half of the price gains occurred over a period only a little longer than the single political term. It might seem like forever for some people, but it's just a fifth of a mortgage amortization. Cheap credit and policy to preserve and in brackets and inflate prices hasn't lasted long before. This doesn't mean it won't last. It just means there's no historical precedent. It's not clear if this establishes a new paradigm though. We're treading new waters. We are treading here, guys. This is a brand new arena that we've entered. So does this disconnect between the U.S. and Canada as we enter into our next topic? Does it mean that we're in a bubble or just a better investment vehicle? Man, as an investor, I'm still investing in Canada. In fact, I see a lot of risks in the U.S. in some ways. It's up to you. You guys are the investors. You guys have the bucks. Invest it accordingly. But I want to move in to our next topic. Is the Bank of Canada's affordability index flat out wrong? BNM Bloomberg, here is the affordability index proposal. The Bank of Canada governor, they say, isn't worried about a housing bubble. Canada's top central banker, talking about Tiff McClem, isn't worried about the country's hot housing market, saying low interest rates and demand for space rather than speculation are behind the price gains. In other words, he would say, I'm not worried. Prices are just up because of me. <laughs> The Bank of Canada's economy is like a square root of negative 100. It's a perfect 10, but imaginary. <laughs> All right. So here's what the Bank of Canada says. Low financing costs will probably mean demand for single family homes continues to outstrip supply in 2021. They say this, quote, so far, we are not seeing the kind of excessiveness in the housing market that would really get us worried. This doesn't, they say this, this doesn't look like 2017. Not everybody agrees with that. We'll talk about someone who disagrees with that shortly. The most recent boom isn't concentrated in higher price markets. This is part of their thinking, but is more broad based across the country. The governor says that I think in itself is implying this is less driven by speculative activity and more driven by fundamental demand. <laughs> the bank has been looking for evidence that prices are rising because people are betting on future gains. So-called extrapolative price expectations. So far, it hasn't found any. Bank Canada can't see any overinflated prices because people are, they're just, they're just going crazy out there. Yeah. And there's no eye in denial. <laughs> Somebody got to get Tiff McClam, McClam, listen to our podcast. Okay. Get him, someone tag him wherever you're listening, tag him down below. Get him on the show. Send him a message. Say, hey, you got to jump on Toronto's number one real estate podcast. But Tiff, if you're listening, here's one, dude. Here's one for you. Add this to your list of many that we've covered on the show in the recent past. 1226 Oxford Avenue, College Park, Oakville sold for $900,000. That was four days ago. <laughs> now, 
back in October 7th, it was purchased at $760,000. So listen to this, Alex Pesek on Twitter. Speaking about heat, you know what market is smoking hot when house with fire damage, yes, there was a fire in this house, is making investors $140,000 within three months with no reno necessary. Sounds like not a bad return, my friend. Woo! So this is what they say. They say, in addition to the things that they haven't seen, nor has the bank found any evidence that low rates are creating the kind of financial system vulnerabilities that would require it to change policy. If I could correct that sentence, the bank didn't not find ev any evidence. Get it? <laughs> Double negative. <laughs> uh, this is how you confuse listeners, so ignore that. No, no double negatives. That's a big no-no. <laughs> But there is some evidence that people are convinced and they're cashing out. Thank you, SA, on your YouTube uh, comment here. I own three homes in Toronto. I'm happy my net worth went up 300000 in just a couple of months, but it's not sustainable. I'm selling one right now, which, believe me, not, has now had 80 showings in 10 days. Offer date is tomorrow, which would be today. I want to cash out because I think prices will slow down in the summer and head down next fall. Wait a minute. So we're not all convinced that the Bank of Canada's thesis, this affordability index is getting better over time. Let's dive deeper into some of the holes that I think some Canadians are seeing in what they're saying. Better dwelling again, Bank of Canada index shows real estate is the most affordable in years. It's wrong. It's wrong. And they talk about why the affordable affordability index measures the share of disposable income spent on housing costs. They say there's three reasons why driving the index lower that should be taken into consideration. Number one, mortgages. Number two, income. Number three, home prices. Let's break each of these down. Number one, mortgage rates dropped very quickly, lowering monthly payments when financing the same amount. Another point, the index assumes a 95% loan to value, which we know in Toronto, if you go over a million bucks, is simply not possible. It's not even possible. You're using imaginary numbers. Both of these mortgage issues would lead to many experiencing reality different from what the index says. Number two, Number two of the index was the average household income, which is problematic for a few reasons. The methodology states that the total of household disposable income is then divided by the number of households, but it doesn't factor in this adjustment for high and low income households, which pops up in a few ways. The low income households see much slower growth than high income households, but get averaged up. The also big issue driving the index is government transfers, which has really skewed a lot of these numbers we've seen. As many economists have pointed out, and I would agree, this is temporary, which will correct at the end of the pandemic. I think we would be silly to ignore that that little blip was kind of manufactured. But number three, the index also uses average resale price, not the benchmark price. The big difference being an overall, you just kind of pool them all in and you divide it by the number that have sold, right? You got all these houses divided by the number of sold overall, but it doesn't factor in the housing types. And as we've seen, even in the most recent future, in the recent past, these can be severely changed based on where we're, what kind of scenario we're in. So listen to this. Here's an example. It, so saying a fort, back in 1990 to 2017, apartment stock grew five points faster than single family homes. So when we see this imbalance in condos, for example, right now, relative to single family, it can skew that average. And yet we're considering the whole thing when we're looking at our numbers. Now, Better Dwelling isn't throwing out the entire index, but they're saying in a time like this, is it really the most sensible thing to do to overall gauge the success of a market? And they would argue that no, it's not. 
But maybe this is just Canada versus the states. Maybe this is just uh, ill-equipped or illogical view from the Bank of Canada. Well, where does Canada sit relative to the G7? And the most, we are today, according to this report, the most inflated out of all G7 countries. Here we go. Canadian real estate prices aren't just fast growing by local standards. They're growing fast by any standards. The Federal Reserve data shows real home price advanced in the most in, Q, in G7 in Q3 2020. We got number one spot. Canadian real estate prices have become such a focus of speculation. They've grown almost three times faster than the second fastest growing G7 country. My goodness. Woo! <laughs> Germany's got that number two spot. They say that despite being the second best, prices are only 38.5% higher than they were in 2005. That means Canada prices grew 45.2% faster over that period, leading to a massive gap between first and second place. Is Italy in the G7? I think so. <laughs> you know what they call an Italian fortune teller with a negative outlook on the future? <laughs> uh, pestomistic. <laughs> Anyways, I'm having some fun, guys. Please know, I'm a realtor. I'm generally on the optimistic side. But when the news is pessimistic, we got to share the news. We got to share the news. You're going to get my take at the end of all of this on where we fall as far as what is the biggest risk. But we're going to jump into some hot topics. If you can, please download the last five episodes, as mentioned before. And if you're not part of that 50 like group yet, what are you waiting for? <laughs> Smash that like button. Okay, here's some hot topics. Again, we can put any of these into their own separate categories. BNN, Bloomberg. Finally, somebody is saying what I've been saying for a weeks now, maybe even months. They say this, Canadians overdoing it with work from home trend. CIBC, Benjamin Tall says... He is the chief economist at CIBC World Markets. He also has the ear of a lot of realtors, by the way. I think it's important. But listen to what he says. I believe that this trend is unsustainable. It'll probably continue over the next few months. Few months, meaning until the spring. But let's picture our lives a year from now, 10 years from now. A huge amount of labor will go back to the office. A lot of that would be in the big cities. And all of a sudden, you find yourself that you have to commute maybe two or three times a week. Then what? Then what? I've been saying this for a while, right? The question is, he says, to what extent are prices in these remote areas rising way too fast? It's not a matter of if they're rising too fast. It's like, are they rising way too fast or just a little too fast? Because there's so much momentum for people going outwards, right? This is, when will it come back? When will it come back? I think people are starting to notice this. This is why we see the trends we do in the condo space. But I agree that we're way overshooting this work from home thing. And I'm sticking to my guns harder than the cowboys who robbed the glue factory. <laughs> CBC.ca, another hot topic, how the home rental boom could help fill in the, quote, missing middle in Toronto's housing stock. We know we've got a missing middle crisis. At least I hope we do. If you listen to our show, you're probably aware of it. We talk about laneway housing, coach houses. We even talk about bloody garden shed housing. Well, maybe this is one more we can add on to our list that a lot of people aren't talking about, but could be an option. Homeowners are adding a second floor to their post-war bungalows. Could they be encouraged to do more? Maybe we kind of take that little bungalow out on top, build a second unit, multifamily. That's the idea. Affordable housing advocates are hoping the city can harness the rental boom to help fill the, quote, missing middle in the city's housing stock by converting some of those single-family homes into multi-unit dwelling. We're not trying to get a place for you to own. We're not trying to afford, afford a place to buy. We're trying to get you housing. That's the real issue with the missing middle. And that is something that if we were to get the right policies in place in our city, that might actually help that call. How about this for fun news? BlogTO.com, a parking space in downtown Toronto just sold for $123,000. People have lost their mind. 
<laughs> Next hot topic. Canadians collecting unemployment benefits surges to a record high. There were 1.24 million unadjusted claims in November, up 6.7% from a month before compared to the same month. This number of people who are collecting unemployment benefit is up 200.9%. Oh, <laughs> it's the second largest going back to 1997. Only the 242% annual increase in October, the month before, beat it. <laughs> the first surge in October was people jumping over from CERB into EI. But what about November? What is that? Is a second round of pandemic lockdowns maybe? I don't know. I don't know. Something to be paying attention to. <laughs> now Toronto.com. Toronto real estate agent shows home while tenants in self-isolation. This hopefully will be an update for people who maybe aren't licensed. Just kind of what the, the overall flavor is of the real estate industry. But for those, some of you who are listen, licensed, you got to listen here. Listen to this. Quote, there's already people upset that we are essential, that we are out trading. The optics are not good and it increases the distrust that people have in our industry when it comes specifically to how we're handling the pandemic. We're already on thin ice because we've got these ideas, these stories coming out of people self-isolating tenants in the basement, self-isolating, and you're doing showings. You're crazy, bro. Yeah, you're not doing your open houses, but you're putting people at risk. And what that will, what that could mean is us as a real estate profession could be on thin ice. Watch out. It even has a Ria sending us out emails. Listen to this. What to do if you're asked to prove you're an essential service by law enforcement? Some of you might not know you're driving around doing your real estate business, business, right? And you're ignoring the fact that you actually, they say this, if meeting with clients, visiting brokerage or conducting an in-person meeting is absolutely necessary, absolutely necessary. Be sure to download the Aureus fillable and printable letters that certify your work as an essential service. Prove it. You pull you over inside of the road, show me you're a licensed professional. I'll bet you most of y'all driving around. I know I'm victim to this. <laughs> Guilty of this. I don't have this paperwork. I got to print this off too. Because if someone pulls you over, we got to put, a, we got to have, and I'm going to be doing this by the way, but we as an industry need to protect ourselves because we are on thin ice. Play nice or they'll pull out your essential service card, man. They don't want to remove that status. And if we're not careful, next they'll be asking us to take drug tests. <laughs> Mine comes back negative. My dealing dealer has explaining to do. <laughs> you know, I'm kidding, right? You're kidding. I'm kidding here. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. Whatever that is. I'm not Catholic, but I love Jesus. <laughs> Besides, after reading all the negative effects of drinking and smoking, I've decided to quit reading. I've decided to quit reading. <laughs> all right. Let's do a quick update on COVID before we get into the worst scenario we could have here in Canada. <laughs> I saw the news this morning. Good news. We're under 1,700 cases in Ontario. Fantastic. I love seeing that number come down. There are actually now 43 confirmed cases of this B117 variant. Sounds like some Star Wars character, right? And they're saying this is the one at the UK variant. This is growing here in Ontario. So watch out. Be diligent, folks. Something we need to keep our eye on. Can we get a third wave? All right, here we go. Our last topic. What is the worst case scenario for housing prices in 2021? TorontoStories.com. Probably the most clickbait article there is right now. CMHC suggests worst case scenario of nearly 50% drop in housing prices. But we're going to talk about this because I think it's a little overboard. Sorry, very overboard. <laughs> Newly released stress testing from the CMHC presents that in a worst case scenario, the country could see a drop of 50% by 2030. Let me ask you, do you know how to tell if someone is opposed to GMOs? <laughs> They'll tell you. And so it is with CMHC. They'll tell you there's nothing left to the imagination. 
but they're using their imagination to pull these damn numbers. Okay, scenario number one. Scenario number is four. First one is U-shaped recovery, which they call moderate risk. This is the least severe scenario. Here, pandemic measures prove successful and economic activity sees a, sharp, a steep but short decline before bouncing back relatively quickly. So it's definitely going to go down. Like even in the best case scenario, it's going to go down, right? Option number two. <laughs> Can only get worse from here. W-shaped recovery. They call it with government support, which they call severe risk. A partial recovery followed by a return of COVID outbreaks, loss of confidence and a prolonged recession, an assumption of a sharp and immediate decline in equity and oil prices, the failure of four mid-sized financial institutions, four banks are going to fall apart, and one private mortgage insurer is going to fall apart. <laughs> Wait a minute. That's option number two? <laughs> option number three, man. You want to talk about Star Wars? This is the most fanciful thing I've heard. <laughs> I mean, you'd think it's crazy if you also thought that we'd all be in a lockdown with masks on this time of year. Last year was crazy, but here we go. <laughs> Throw it on me. Okay, case number three, W-shaped recovery with government support and a cyber attack. <laughs> this plot's goal was to assess an imminent cyber attack on the financial system during COVID outbreaks. What is that? Like Bitcoin? Like what are we? what's going on here? Who's attacking us? This is another scenario assuming a W-shaped recovery, albeit with less severe economic assumptions compared to the above severe scenario. Also, that's what? More likely than the other one? <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is absurd. Let me just say this is absurd. Listen to this, guys. I want to show with you the... Ex this is CMHC, the, the like largest insurer in Canada. This like break my heart, man. <laughs> Here's their expectation for the U-shaped and the with government support shape. We're going to take the other crazy like robotic cyber attack thing out. But in both those scenarios, peak unemployment rate in the moderate one is 15%. Okay, that sounds normal. But our prices are still down like 34%. 34% in a moderate scenario. Even our baseline, our best case scenario is down 13%. But then we get with government support, they're still putting us at 32%. Forget the 50% in a worst case crazy situation we're going to talk about in a second. But when your more likely scenarios is still a 30% drop, holy smokes. Holy smokes. Man, if real estate investing is a martial arts, CMHC is a black belt and Taekwondo don't. <laughs> Here is the gravest scenario that CMHC could present to us. A W-shaped recovery without government support. <laughs> the storyline mirrors the first shape the support with, with the sub government support, except this time there's no government intervention. That's pretty much what happens. And what happens? The, the sky falls. 50% drop. The report emphasizes the scenario are, quote, for testing purposes only. <laughs> this is so funny. Listen to this. They're not to be read as predictions or forecasts. This caution is an important one. As CMHC has come under fire more than once in recent months, as phrases including fear-mongering and no longer relevant have been used with regards to their housing market forecast. So we don't want you to look at this as a prediction. No, this is for testing purposes only. <laughs> I have one word for CMHC on this one. Negligent. My goodness. At least CMHC is consistent with their negligence. I don't always contradict myself, but when I do, I don't. <laughs> so silly. So silly. So this is what CMHC says is the worst case scenario, but I'm going to tell you before the end of this podcast what I believe is our worst case scenario here in 2021. We're going to start off with this article, torontostories.com, heat and hangovers in Toronto real estate 2021 forecast. This is from a Move Smartly report in January 2021. First, we'll look at single-family homes. 
quote, is showing an alarming bubble-like symptoms, the report says. There is a lot of issues, and he says, reminiscent of 2016, 2017 in the GTA. Contrary to what Bank of Canada says, it does seem very much like 2017 in that, I agree. That's why I tend to say there's a little bit more risk in these single-family homes, if in fact that exists. Take your own thought on that. That's my thought. Quote, after GTA home prices fell in 2017, the GTA housing market remained relatively stable for 18 months with roughly three months of inventory. Back, But since 2019, inventory has plummeted from 3.6 months of inventory in January 2019 to under one mo- month in December. Three and a half to one month in a year. So what are we going to do? We're going to float in the low months of inventory like we did in 2017 before all of a sudden something gives? Like what, how, what is the game plan here? What's the game plan? And if the bank is not ready to step in, how long is this going to go? I don't know. We are even seeing alarming signs of homeowners flipping houses for 25 to 30% more than their purchased them six months earlier. Bank Canada didn't see that. How is it that everyone else is seeing that in the summer of 2020 without doing any renovations? We talked about several examples of that in the last few podcasts, and we've done some more here today. Man. And we can't get racist towards condos now, right? They got, they got a lot of potential too. And I always make a point of opposing racism, especially on highways and 401. So it's like a Toronto condo market. Whether it was due to mortgage rates, vaccine implementation, or something in the water, December saw Toronto's condo market activity soar to new heights. Quote, where the condo market goes from here will largely depend on what the rental market looks like in the first quarter, but things seem to be doing quite well. We got a finger on the pulse there. But then they put this chart out, and I can't, I mean, the only way you could see this is if you jump. I'll tell you guys, the, the actual article will be in the comments in, the, in our description below. The Toronto Star Stories article, Heat and Hangovers. Check it out. But when you look at the chart, what they did is they mapped out the CMHC, worst case, best case, all their scenarios. And then where the prices actually are, complete opposite. Literally complete opposite. <laughs> You're wrong, man. You're just wrong. I don't know. Where's this 30% drop? Where's the 30% drop? I don't know. I don't know, but that's what the news is reporting. CMHC is reliable, let's say. Okay. (laughs) What the report says may be the biggest issue with CMHC's forecast was, quote, listen to this. Not that it was wrong. Economists often expect it to be, right? These predictions can be wrong. But that it was delivered with overconfidence that a decline in house prices was a foregone conclusion. Here is the risk to bad predictions. Listen up. Eight months later, we hear the message coming. This is eight months from now. Many consumers are taking away from this moment right now, which is that if home prices didn't crash with our economy in the slow motion, oil being given away, millions of Canadians on income support, and a greater percentage of mortgages not being paid than we've seen since the Great Depression, and if I could add to it, all of the craziness that CMHC has said would happen, we got through all of that, then nothing can happen to our housing market. Nothing. That is the worst case scenario. In my book, False information can really throw things off. We need to be paying attention to the fundamentals. The fundamentals, the fundies are crazy. They're crazy. So 2019 was saying stay away from negative people. 2020, people said stay away from positive people. And CMHC wants 2020 to be rebranded as stay away from Canadian real estate. (laughs) I hope you guys learned some stuff today. I know we had a little bit of a, I think it was a longer show. Yeah, it looks like we went over a little bit. That's all right. We had some fun. Please download the last five episodes. Hit that like button if we're still at 50 likes. By the time you're at this point of the video, I don't know what you're doing. And if you want to follow us at Clubhouse, as we kind of figured that out, you can follow us at, at Watson Estates. Also, any investors, you know we got that investor list. You can sound down in the comments. The link's below. We're going to leave off with a little bit of fun here. 
<laughs> CMHC and Treb are like two drunk guys about to get into a fight. When one draws a line in the dirt and slurs, if you cross this line, I'll hit you in the face. <laughs> that was the punchline. <laughs> I'll see you guys next time. Take care and keep it real.